0: You're listening to Riverview Church Conversations, a podcast for the spiritually curious. Well, welcome back to the Riverview Church podcast. It's so good to have you here with Conversations. Uh, My name is Ryan Gagler and I'm a part of the team here and I'm joined by Reese Mayshell. Hello. Hello, hello. How's it going?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. That's I'm probably good. a seven and a half, eight out of ten today. That's very good. How are you? What about out of a
0: hundred, Reese?
1: Yeah, maybe a 75. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. If very I just good. extrapolate it out. Very good. Uh,
0: Reese. I thought I'd just start off by asking you a, a generic question as always. Right, here we go. What is the best purchase you've ever made under $50? Oh. Best 50 bucks you've ever spent?
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind, I could have spent the money. Someone else could have spent the money, but instead it was actually a gift. Wow. No, and it wasn't a gift. It was a freebie. Mm. My father, Mm. has, for his entire existence, worked in foam manufacturing. And one day I was given a pillow, a little contour memory foam pillow. That changed my life. Wow. Prior to that. I've been told. I've heard the stories. Oh, man. If you want to live like a millionaire, buy a good pillow. That's what a millionaire does. They buy the best pillow they can and they sleep like a king. Might have some recommendations in the show notes mm, from you, Ray. Indeed, yes. <laughs> what about you? The best best uh, 50 bucks
0: you've ever spent? Look, I got an absolute bargain on some 90s Reebok pumps. I think I've mentioned mm. this before. They're like Shacks. legit like old school pumps and I got them for $25 at Gym Kid. Oh, They're go. still really good. This is many Castle. years ago. They are like perfect condition.
1: How did they Did they help you in your basketball career? Look,
0: I thought I could jump like Jordan and uh, get about
1: half a foot off the air. Well, of course you couldn't because Jordan didn't wear Reebok pumps, did he? That's true. He
0: didn't even want to wear Reebok. But that's a story for another day, yes. Reese. Yes, indeed. Well, it's uh, it's good to be back together. And uh, I feel like things are moving slowly but surely in our world. Things are improving and progressing. This week, Reese, I came into work. And the car park was full and <laughs> I was stoked, but I was also a little annoyed because then I needed to...
1: The Lord didn't provide you with a car park?
0: No, he didn't. But it was nice to see that people um, are slowly kind of getting back a little bit to normal. Of course, there's still lots of things that are, um,
1: you know, uncertain and strange, but
0: things are getting a little more yeah, normal. Yeah, getting there, nice.
1: getting there. I think I've, I've reached peak Zoom chats. Yes. No no more Zoom chats for me, please. <laughs> Just turn your video off. And... Oh yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Do That's other work.
0: way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and one of the things that I think I've appreciated over the past couple of weeks is um, having our senior minister, Tim Healy, back around and, mm. and just hearing his voice and seeing his face a little more, even if it is via a Zoom chat. Um, and today we're really excited for the conversation because we're, we're going to be joined by Tim Healy. And for those of you who are a part of the Riverview family, you would know that over the the past four or five months, Um, he's been on a a particular journey. And for those of you who are unaware of that, we'll actually just let him speak into that in uh, the interview today. But we're really excited because we know that this conversation is going to be both enlightening for you, but also encouraging um, as Tim shares openly and vulnerably. And so uh, we're excited. We hope you are. Why don't you enjoy this?
1: Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Most of our listeners probably feel like they know you pretty well as Riverview Church's senior minister, professionally. Um, But I have a curly question first up for you. What was the first album you ever bought with your own money?
2: Oh gosh, all right. That would go all the way back to high school. And uh, I reckon it was U2's Rattle and Hum. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was kind of hard to get our hands on because back in those days, uh, U2 was banned or well, the sale of the album was banned in South Africa oh. because of the apartheid setup. So it was quite hard to get your hands on. So we had to get on the black market.
1: Breaking the law. <laughs> wow. What a Break story to start off with. Wow. Did you bootleg any copies? For- no. Okay. No burning of, uh, or no, no dubbing of tapes, cassettes, as it were, back in the day. <laughs> no. What, what was it like being an eighteen-year-old in South Africa in that time?
2: It was fascinating. I'm actually quite grateful for the opportunity I have lived through it all because um, I remember quite clearly the the transition, the move from from apartheid um, to full-blown democracy. Mm. Um, I remember probably close to the same year that I bought that album. You know, we had our first person of colour. Uh, join our high school which sounds bizarre you know but that was the way society was structured back then and I remember what a significant thing it was um, the first year that schools opened up to kind of integration Mm. Uh, it was quite surreal
1: and obviously in that transition period the country was not just kind of um, transitioning and opening up but it was very violent place. To live, there was like a lot of a lot of bloodshed around that time. What, what was what was the household environment like for the for the Healy household at that time? Was it, were you guys just kind of going about your business, or were you mm. were you feeling the effects of that? Were you staying home? Were you in lockdown? <laughs> while, while no, a lot there of the was there was, was
2: a fair amount of violence. Um, probably less than what people anticipated, which is what I uh, think is part of the miracle of South Africa's story. I think the uh, level of violence was nowhere near what people thought it could be or or should be. Um, I remember growing up, though, and there was a constant threat of terror and we would Mm. do terrorism drills and that type of thing. But generally, life was fairly normal. We certainly weren't (laughs) in lockdown. Um, Mm. As normal as life can be in a setup like that. Mm.
1: Yeah, Yeah, well. Like I mentioned, yeah, we're kind of in pseudo lockdown. But the last four months have been pretty unique for you, regardless of any of that stuff. Um, Would you be able to give us... A little bit of a snapshot over kind of the last, the last four to five months of what's been going on, for Tim. Yeah,
2: well, we got to the end of last year, and uh, for me, the year finished up with our fortieth anniversary celebration, which was an absolutely wonderful weekend. I loved it, and we got on a plane after the last celebration, flew to South Africa, where we were going to spend you know a month with our family there. And uh, the first week of the holiday was was quite busy. We were still tying off loose ends back here in Perth and, um, you know, having conversation about Christmas planning and all the rest of it. But really by week two, we had unplugged and switched off. And the moment we did, I just hit the wall. I just crashed. I, I didn't realize how tired I was. And that was really the first long break that we had taken as a family since returning to Riverview three years ago. Mm. And I think we had been running pretty hard for three years. And... It's kind of like, you know, when you're playing rugby or footy or some full-contact sport, you know, when you're on the field, mm. you're just running on adrenaline and you're rolling with the punches and mm. you are just, you know, operating a certain level and you don't really feel the pain. It's it's when the game stops. Um, it's the day after or maybe the second day after the game that you feel stiff yeah. and sore. Yeah. And I think it was kind of like that for me mentally and physically and emotionally. I think um, having run so hard for three years – um, having led the church through a fairly complex period um, of leadership transition, dealing with the crisis, you know, the financial crisis of 2017. I think all of that had taken quite a toll on my soul. And I didn't realize how much of a toll until I stopped. Yeah. And uh, initially I wasn't too worried about it. I thought, nah, I've got a month. I'm going to just rest and relax and do everything I know to do and I'll be fine. Should be ready to hit the ground, you know, come come mid-January uh, of twenty twenty, but you know something strange happened you know the the opposite um happened, and I found myself mm. just falling into depression, I was struggling to sleep at night, um, I was feeling tired all the time. Uh, I started um, feeling physical symptoms you know of burnout, I was um, shaking in my hands, I was uh, having heart palpitations, mm. shortness of breath, mm. um, I was just not recovering. And it got to the last week of the holiday and I remember feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and the prospect of going back became frightening and it just then spiraled into outright panic. I had a series of pretty major panic attacks Mm. and I thought this is not good. I'm going to have to reach out and let Mel know what's going on. So I contacted um, the chairman of our board, Mel Cook, who was absolutely wonderful and I said I'm I'm going to have to ask for – extended leave of absence at, at least till the end of February and he said no worries just focus on getting the family back and we'll work out a plan when you when you're back in Perth and so we got back on the 15th of January and I took off um, the rest of January and then started a conversation with the board about what mm. a road to health would require and what re-entry would look like and so that's what I've been doing for the last four months. Mm. Uh, got a good team around me of, mm, of mental health practitioners, counsellors, uh, met my GP, got on a mental health plan, and then um,
0: started the process of slowly getting back to to physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. Have you had you ever experienced anything like that? I mean, you've been doing this for for a while as a leader and in ministry. Had you ever experienced anything like that before?
2: No, never. I've never battled with um, depression or anxiety. Um, I've never experienced this level of physical exhaustion or depletion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was quite unexpected it was yeah. surprising and I certainly didn't think it would would happen to me I certainly didn't think when I got to the end of last year that I was at that level of mm. um, of exhaustion but I was and so um, yeah it's it's been a learning curve um, it's been valuable in the sense that I'm learning and discovering things about myself and about leadership and about um, life that I probably wouldn't be learning and discovering had I not gone through the mm-hmm. experience. But it certainly wasn't expected
0: and it wasn't wanted. Um, mm. I'm just trying to redeem it and yeah, yeah. learn from it. That's good. When you look back, um, you know, before you did experience that, do you feel like now that you look in hindsight, you do see some almost warning signs or things that you, you notice now as you look at it? I think so, yeah. I think with the advantage of hindsight, I, I see some things
2: that were – indicators to me that I was moving toward unhealth. Um, I just think the pace of life, the pace of ministry, the demand of ministry, um, the pressure of leadership um, often just keeps you on the treadmill. And even though you you see certain dials redlining, it's really hard to climb off. Um, and so, mm. yeah, I think looking back, I can see some things that were indicators that um, I was moving toward an unhealthy place at an unhealthy pace and um,
0: probably should have paid more attention to those yeah. sooner. And so, you know, you mentioned there's things that you're learning about yourself and about leadership and all of this. What are some of those things? What are some of the things that come to mind as those redeeming things? You know, in this space. Yeah, well, I've I've been journaling quite a bit over the course of the last four months,
2: trying to capture um, what happened, why it happened, and, and what I'm learning through the process. And there's so much I could say in answer to that. Um, I. I'd say, you know, probably the thing that was most apparent to me initially was that um, sometimes receiving love from people can be just as hard as giving it. I mean, oh. we, we often think of loving people as being the demanding thing because loving people requires sacrifice mm. and selflessness and sometimes the people we're called to love are not particularly lovable. Mm. and So we often think of love loving others as being a demanding thing. But I found that receiving love from people was equally difficult. Mm. Um, yeah. There were people around me trying to love me, people saying, we're here for you, we want to help. Um, you don't have to go it alone. But I was feeling like I had let the team down, I had dropped the ball, I had created this kind of ripple of inconvenience um, that affected the team and this church. And and so I didn't feel like I deserved that love. I didn't feel like I deserved any kind of support or affirmation or encouragement. People would send me messages to express their appreciation and their love, and I kind of felt like, but I don't deserve it um, mm. because I've let everybody down. And so it's been quite a process just learning to actually receive people's love,
0: to let them love me. Mm. and. Um, I guess you're so used to being the one that's extending that love to people and sending those kind of messages that when you're on the other side of it
1: or having earned it by some some initiative or something that you've done that you know kind of I suppose warrants you know a response but exactly
2: right we uh, we're, we're very often in in the ministry context um on the giving side and um I think for me there was just an element of shame around it and and that shame, of course, it's unfounded. It shouldn't be there. Mm. There's no shame at all in putting up your hand and saying, I need help. I'm overwhelmed. I'm not coping. Um, but we often feel shame. Um, and so part of the process has been learning to tell myself there is no shame in it. Mm. Um, you you are worthy of love. You, you are allowed to have people speak words of encouragement and mm. validation and affirmation over you. And you're allowed to let go and let them be there for you. Mm. Um yeah, and great. so learning to to receive people's love and people's encouragement has been quite a process through all of this. Mm. Yeah.
0: And so for you in that space the um the courageous thing almost was not to just keep pushing through, you know, like a lot of people would say, you know, just put your head down, keep working, yeah. you know, push down your feelings, you know, onwards. Um for you the courageous thing was kind of voicing how you were going, being vulnerable and open and honest.
2: Just walk me through that. Yeah, I think it takes a particular kind of courage to put your hand up and say, I need help. Mm. Um, Strength, you know, isn't always the the power to push through or the power to prevail. I think sometimes strength is the humility to ask for help. And that's something that I've had to learn through the process as well. Um, You know, funnily enough, I was at the beginning of the year um, in the process of preparing a message for when I had re entered in January because mm-hmm. I was due to preach, and so while I'm feeling all of this on the one side, I'm also trying to you know manage mm. the reality that I've got to return to work and so I was working on this message around the idea of courage and yeah. um, and I discovered through the process that uh, your yeah, courage sometimes looks different, and sometimes it's not that ability to overcome but the ability to uh, reach out to others and have others overcome you know. Well, wow. on your behalf. So, yeah, courage, I think, is an important part of the, the leadership equation.
1: Mm. Certainly. Have you felt the pressure to kind of be a certain type of leader? I mean, especially in, I suppose, charismatic churches, there's kind of the A-type person, the, the strong, visionary, whoever gets in behind and leads people kind of…
0: Yeah, gone up the holy mountain and yeah. received that, that special word. They're never wrong, always certain. What comes to mind when you think of that yeah. type of leader and then yourself? And um.
2: Yeah, I've, I've always considered myself to be something of a reluctant leader. And I can remember all the way back to the beginning of my leadership journey when I started out in youth ministry as a, a kind of volunteer um, youth leader. I remember feeling a fair amount of reluctance about taking on any kind of leadership responsibility primarily because I just didn't want to be the source of other people's pain. Mm. <laughs> and I mm. knew I had enough experience of life to know that if you are going to lead in any way, shape, or form, um, you're ultimately going to be the source of somebody's disappointment. You're going to offend somebody. You're going to mm. disappoint somebody. You're going to let somebody down. Even if your intentions are right, if your motives are pure, if you're um, – as good as you can be in your methodology and your execution, you're ultimately still going to be the source of other people's pain. Yeah. And I just wanted to be the nice guy. I just wanted <laughs> to be liked by everybody. So I feel like I've I've been taken by the scruff of the neck and kind of dropped into the river of God's plan and purpose. And I've been caught up in the current of His will um, ever since then. And there have been times when I've kind of just tried to fight the current and climb out of the river and there's times mm-hmm. when i've just surrendered to it and yielded to it but that's very much been my leadership experience um i probably identify more with people like gideon and um <laughs> moses and jonah and you know all those kind of people in scripture who were conscripted by god and mandated to lead rather than putting their hand up and saying yeah i want to lead and i want to change the world and i want to be an influencer and all the rest of it so um yeah so so i've often found myself in that position. Um, I do think there is a fair amount of expectation of those in leadership that they are strong and resilient and charismatic and dynamic and they have it all together. But I think most leaders struggle more than they let on. I Mm. think most Mm. leaders, regardless of how charismatic or dynamic they are or are not, struggle with self-doubt and with questions about faith and God and their capacity and their ability and uh, issues of uncertainty, not mm. knowing what to do. Um, and there is definitely a pressure to present a certain level of confidence and competence. But the truth is we're all vulnerable and uh, we're certainly not all omnicompetent. And mm. Mm. Um, I think I think we would do well as leaders uh, to be more honest with ourselves and with those we lead about that reality, yeah, well. about our own fears and doubts and uncertainties and inadequacies um, because I think we we have as much to impart through sharing those mm. and in,
1: imparting those as we do through our strengths. Yeah, yeah it's like the, um, the further I get into my leadership journey, I realize that everyone else on the journey is kind of just making it up as they go along or just doing mm. their best kind of like I am. Yeah. No single person has all of the answers. They might have a few more or a few different answers, but I can't look to senior minister or board member or my boss to provide me with all the things that I need because mm. patently they're just doing their best like I am. Yeah, And I, and I think that's very much the
2: reality of, of leadership. Um, I've, I've discovered that it's a lot easier to talk about leadership than it is to lead. Um, <laughs> studying yes. leadership, uh, teaching leadership, having forums and discussions about the art of leadership and what good leadership looks like and feels like is a lot easier than actually leading. And just because you can explain good leadership or because you can communicate clearly what good leadership looks like and feels like doesn't mean you can lead. Um, I would much rather just sit around and talk about good leadership and discuss what it looks <laughs> like and feels like mm. than actually lead because the process of leading is, is quite difficult, quite painful. Mm. But the way I like to explain it is this. Leadership is kind of like driving a car. So there are certain aspects of learning to drive that are um, you know, acquired skills, just technicalities. You know, which pedal is the accelerator, which one is the brake, where's the indicator, uh, how do you pull up the handbrake? Those are just acquired technical skills, and a certain amount of leadership is acquired technical skill. But if I was to ask you how hard do you need to apply the brake in order to stop the car, the answer to that question is it depends. Yeah, depends on how fast you're traveling and what road surface you're on, and it depends on… Uh, how many cars are around you and whether or not it's raining and that you can only feel in the moment. It's intuitive. Mm. And so I think so much of leadership is that intuitive process of feeling in the moment what's right and what's appropriate and through the process of experience and experiment, discovering what works and what doesn't. And that's why I think the best leadership development is the process of leading, Uh, assuming responsibility or giving people responsibility and giving them opportunity to practice leadership is the best leadership development. That's not to say that the theory isn't important, but I think the art of leadership is actually learned in the doing. Mm.
1: Mm. And suppose, you're
2: right, we're making it up as we go.
1: I suppose to extend the, the metaphor, it's all very well to have like a great set of brakes in your leadership vehicle. But if you run out of gas, yeah. personally, the, your acquired yeah. skills maybe are not, not as useful as, as you once thought they were. The reliance on your um, mm. training or background is not so helpful maybe when you hit the wall and you're exactly um, right. you haven't been maintaining the car or yourself or your heart or whatever um, it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm interested, Tim, just to ask a little bit about like I've and I shared this a little while ago, just been reflecting on Paul's words in First Corinthians eleven where he talks about, you know, come and imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I feel like that's a statement of vulnerability, not a statement of, <laughs> you know, I've got it all together. Mm. And I guess I have a question around, um, even for you walking through this experience, how, like, how do you lead when you are still on the journey yourself? So we were talking about this the other day, actually, you know, it's the same with parenting, you're parenting, but you're still figuring things out as you go. How do you lead when you haven't landed on, you haven't figured everything out. You haven't even landed on every theological idea that you'd like Mm -hmm. to, or you're, um, you know, still figuring out stuff mentally and emotionally and relationally. How Like, how do you lead when you're in process?
2: Yeah, I think you need to stay curious and stay humble and stay teachable so that you're learning through your experience, but you're also learning from the people around you. So I think as long as you're committed to the process of continual learning and development, Then you can grow in your capacity as a leader. I think the moment you think that you know it all or that you've arrived at the conclusion or you've worked out how this leadership thing should work, I think you're in trouble. So stay curious, stay humble, um, Mm. and constantly ask yourself um, what am I learning through what I'm experiencing? What is this experience teaching me and telling me? Mm. I'm also a big believer in um, accessing other people's ideas. And so, you know, people say, leaders are readers. And I, I believe that it's true. Um, I think books are a gift because they give us an access into other people's minds. And if you can access mm. other people's minds, you can learn and grow through their experience. And so I'm a big believer in in learning by getting good people around you and learning from what they've learned already. I think you have to be honest as well with yourself and with those around you about your limitations. And we all do have limitations. We're not uh, fully formed, we don't have all the answers, we haven't worked it all out yet. So be honest about that and be happy to say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know enough about this particular subject to have an opinion on it. Um, and just admit that. <laughs> uh, you know, somebody once said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Mm. You know, you got to surround yourself with people who know more than you do and mm, it's be open to learning from them and deferring to their um, capacities and their authorities and their experience. So I think that's an important part of the the journey. And I think, you know, c- certainty, I think, is overrated. Um, I know we like certainty. Um, people want clarity. Uh, but I think certainty and clarity are somewhat elusive um,
0: mm.
2: or illusory. They're, they're not as present or as fixed as we think they are or hope them to be. So I think you've got to get comfortable with uncertainty and with ambiguity and with paradox and with mystery particularly if you're going to lead in the context of life in the kingdom of God mm. because so much of theology and so much of what we know and experience of God is couched in in mystery and in, in, in
0: ambiguity and in uncertainty. And so you've
2: got to get comfortable with those
0: realities. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm kind of interested maybe just to go on a bit of a, a side tangent here um, and ask the question, we were discussing this the other day, just around the the leadership phenomenon that exists in churches. And you touched on this a little bit. You know, when, when you look at Christ, our kind of um, head of the church, to be honest, I look at him and I look at his track record and he didn't seem to be, maybe this is controversial to say a great leader. I mean, he's people, the people on his team were a mess. So if I looked at him and I gave him a leadership rating, it might be an F, (laughs) but you know, in terms of, morals and teaching and and care and love and and sacrifice i mean of course all of these things get an a plus or above an a plus mm. why is it that in the church we have like an obsession with leadership i know that's a, a big question but it seems we talk about leadership sometimes more often than we talk about spiritual formation than we talk about care and we talk about growth um What's the go there? Yeah, I think you're right. I
2: think it has become something of an obsession, and it's fairly recent as well. It probably only dates back to maybe the the 1990s, where um, just a tidal wave of leadership mm. literature came onto the scene, and um, you know we had books and conferences and CDs and um, experiences all shaped around this phenomenon called leadership, and everyone was trying to work out what is it and what does it feel like when it's working well? And it, it became a bit of a fixation. And that's not to say that leadership's not important. No, I, think, I think good, strong, godly, healthy leadership is important. But I think we've probably overemphasized the role of leadership. You know, it's, it's like I like to highlight the fact that, you know, good leadership also requires good followership. Hmm. You know, we don't talk a lot about no, what it don't. means to be a good follower and um, what following well looks like. But following is so fundamental to mm. kingdom life because it's ultimately what we're called to do yeah, yeah. is to follow Jesus. So how do you follow well? Um, so I do think we've overemphasized leadership and particularly a certain kind of leadership, which is, as you mentioned earlier, high profile, charismatic, dynamic, attractive, um, multi-competent, personality-based type leadership leadership. Um, but I do think it has a shelf life. I think people are getting tired of it. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's particularly helpful. Um, And so I do think we're going to see the conversation move away from this overemphasis on leadership to some more important aspects of faith life, which include followership and discipleship.
1: Mm. I suppose if I think about um, the major takeaway from my leadership experience that people want, they don't want necessarily to be led, but they want to know do I love them and do I have time for them? And sometimes I do have to lead them and do some administration and that type of stuff. But it's always those two things that I come back to. And I'm confronted by those two questions constantly. I don't find questions of charisma confronting or communication mm. or um, administration confronting. But do I have time for someone and do I love them? You know, that's mm. the thing that always gets me. When, and I guess with that framework of leadership,
0: Jesus gets an A+. plus. I mm-hmm. guess it's, it's when we frame leadership through our... You know, um, getting the job done and uh, doing it with
1: vocal, um, you know, oomph and all of those things. And potentially one of the, an an easy thing to fall by the wayside when you're trying to do all the, keep the plate spinning, trying to communicate well and trying to be a visionary and trying to um, put programs in place and do all the things that we do in leadership. You know, the the first thing that I tend to forget is being gentle and, and making time for someone. So, yeah. Um, Tim, I'm just
0: interested to ask a little bit as well about um, expectation in leadership. Obviously, there's expectations that you place on yourself, which maybe you can manage. Then there's also expectations that other people place on you, which you can't really manage. And I'm just aware that, you know, if you had everybody um, who looks to you as a leader come and write down what they expect of you, um, a lot of what gets written down is going to be completely um, unachievable, you know. You know, you're you're asked to fix people's marriages, to run funerals, to to teach them everything there is to know about God, even though you're still figuring it out mm. yourself. Um, how do you how do you manage those expectations, but also the expectations you put on yourself? Because I'm I'm sure in some ways they speak to one another. The expectations people put on you reinform the expectations you put on yourself. How do you manage that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I certainly do feel. Um, the weight of those expectations. And I think people uh, would hope that their senior minister is, you know, able to offer advice and wisdom on virtually every subject, you know, under Mm. the sun, whether it's marriage or parenting or um, the relationship between faith and science or um, discipleship. I mean, there are just so many subjects that we could potentially cover. And Mm. I think people assume that, well, um, if you're the senior leader or the primary communicator, that you're kind of an expert in every field and so that you <laughs> should be able to <laughs> comment meaningfully on everything. Um, so there's an expectation, I think, there. And people also, I think, expect that you have uh, you have it all together, that you do have um, answers to all the questions and uh, maybe a, a certain degree of certainty or clarity in your own heart and mind about things. Um, and so... Yeah, you feel the weight of that. I think also just being in the same faith community for so long has its unique set of expectations because every single Sunday, you know, or second Sunday, whatever the rhythm is, uh, people are expecting you to get up and to um, <laughs> deliver a word from God mm. that connects with them emotionally and uh, grows them spiritually and challenges <laughs> them intellectually and hopefully somewhat entertains them.
0: And, and gets better and better each weekend. It gets better and better each weekend. <laughs> yeah.
2: weekend, yeah. So, you know, over, over <laughs> a period of time, people become familiar with your language and your vocabulary and your theology and your stories and your style. And so there's kind of like a pressure to, to pull the rabbit out of the hat every, every yeah, well, now and then. Hmm. Um, and as the old saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. So as people become more familiar with you, uh, they become more indifferent. And so keeping people engaged, uh, keeping people surprised, Uh, Keeping people challenged and and growing is certainly an expectation that I think most pastors and primary communicators experience. Um, I've heard people like Bill Hybels and Andy Stanley and others say it's the hardest part of what we do, the preaching and teaching side. Uh, Coming up with fresh content and fresh revelation and packaging it in a way that's engaging and stimulating um, is is a very challenging task. So that's probably the biggest weight of expectation. But I think there is an expectation as well uh, from people that you kind of have it all together because you're a leader and because you're a theologian or because you have a relationship with God in some kind of unique way. But it's really, it's not true. My relationship with God is the same as yours. Mm. You know what I mean? I, mm. I wrestle mm. with the same things you wrestle with. I I have good days and bad days. I have questions and I have doubts and I have fears and I have uncertainties. Um, and so... I think giving yourself permission to be honest about that, um, but I think also taking people on a journey and helping them be more realistic um, in their expectation of their leaders, I think is a good and a healthy thing.
0: Mm.
1: So Sundays definitely have a rhythm for a senior minister or a primary communicator in a church. Um, But for the average person, we see you appear on stage at 9.30 to deliver your message and then you hop off again. It's a lot more than that that goes into it. I imagine there are waves that you have to ride to get to the place where you can communicate multiple times on a Sunday. And then there's the after effects. Would you be able to walk us through what it's like for you in the lead up to a Sunday, how a Sunday pans out, the thoughts and the feelings and the things that you do to keep those in check? And then what does post Sunday look like? Do you crash out on a Monday? Are you filtering through all those thoughts and feelings? Like, what, 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 how has it kind of panned out for you over your? journey as a primary communicator
2: yeah great question I um, really begin the process Thursday Thursday for me is my sermon writing day and so I try to pack in the majority of my content preparation on Thursday and get it off to our media crew by the end of Thursday because it gives them time then to prep the screens and the slides Uh, I try not to think about it on Friday Friday is our day off and that's the day I try to just rest and unplug and spend time with the family uh, and then I pick it up again on Saturday. And Saturday is a pretty intense day because I spend most of Saturday prepping. And that prepping includes time praying and then time working through the message. So um, I spend a lot of time uh, thinking through what I want to say and how I want to say it, um, fine-tuning the language and, and the phrasing and the terms and that type of thing. Uh, and then pray. I just pray a lot into it, really. And uh, and then I'm up uh, early Thursday morning. I'll be up, uh, I mean, Sunday morning, up 6 o'clock and uh, take some time to pray, might go through the message once more, Um, get ready, drive into church, and then I'm usually here an hour before we start. So I'll get in about 8 o'clock, spend some time checking in with all the team. We do our pre-service briefings uh, backstage um, and then just double-check the message with the media crew to make sure all the scriptures are correct and all the points are right and let them know if I've made any changes, sometimes on a Saturday. When I'm going through it, I'll think, oh, I need to change this or take the scripture out or add this point in. So we'll make any last-minute changes. And then 9 o'clock we kick off, and I genuinely really try to uh, just engage in the worship. I don't think too much about the message while I'm on the ground. I really want to model what worship I think should look like in the context of our corporate gathering. So I try to be fully present. I'm fully involved. I'm raising my hands. I'm singing out at full tilt. Mm. Um, really, I'm really entering into the presence of God and I'm, I'm in that moment trying to connect with the Spirit of God. And um, so by the time that I get up on stage, I really feel like I've I've touched base with heaven. I feel like I'm in tune with the Spirit of God and then ready to deliver what is kind of on my heart. So I'll do that. Um, between the 9 and the 11, I try not to talk too much to too many people. Uh, I'll usually head backstage pretty quickly uh, and just rest. Um keep my energy levels up and then back on stage for the 11 to do it again. I go home between the 11 and the 5, drive all the way back up the freeway because we live 35 minutes up the freeway. (laughs) And I'll go home, have lunch, uh, usually have a nap (laughs) because I'm 45, you know. So um, have have a little nap for 20, 30 minutes and then drive back in at, Uh, 4.30 with the family, so Sunday night is when we do Mm. family church together, so Liesl and the kids will come in, and we do uh, church together, do it one more time Sunday night, and uh, then hang around talking to people, catching up with folks in the foyer, uh, and then we leg it back up the freeway. Um, I must admit, Sunday night, it takes me a long time to come down. I think the adrenaline levels across Sunday are pretty high, so I'll usually be up till 12, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning Mm. on a Monday Mm. just coming down from from the high. Um, I usually shed one or two kilograms across a weekend as well just from the physical output Mm -hmm. of delivering a message three times. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, I'm pretty wrecked Monday. (laughs) Monday is low-level kind of admin day. Mm. I try not to do any big significant meetings Mm. or make any big significant decisions on a Monday. I just catch up on emails and do low-level admin work, mm. uh, and then usually by Tuesday I'm feeling, feeling back to normal. Do you yeah. get do you, do you get nervous? I don't. I get I get frustrated and focused, mm. and <laughs> let me elaborate on that. Uh, frustrated in the sense that sometimes um, putting a message together comes together really easily. It just flows, and uh, it all seems to line up. And sometimes it doesn't. Mm. Sometimes it just it's hard work. And it just feels like you can't get clear in your thinking on what you want to say and how you want to say it or it's lacking that element of inspiration. It doesn't matter how much you pray about it. it just feels like God's not speaking clearly about it. So sometimes it's quite a frustrating process. Mm. So it can be frustrating. Um, but when I get to Sunday morning, I find like there's a narrowing that takes place. The closer I get to delivering the message, the more I shut everything else out mm. and I focus in on that moment. So I become quite quite focused Mm. Uh, but not nervous no
1: what's Mm. going through your mind when you walk off stage in that first 15 minutes off (laughs) you've come off the platform services wrapping up or maybe um, maybe someone comes up to you to chat to you just before you head backstage what like what are the things that you're experiencing in that in those first few minutes after you've delivered a message
2: honestly nine times out of ten I'm thinking god why on earth did you call me to do this (laughs) Surely there are a thousand people who yeah, can do this yeah. so much better than I can do, and I'm not saying that to be humble. Like this is not an attempt at humility. Mm. Um, it it is a genuine sense of inadequacy. Like I have never, never walked off the pulpit and thought to myself, "That was awesome. Mm. You slayed that. That was brilliant." <laughs> never. Like I just always walk off and feel this sense of God. Why? Why did? <laughs> why did you call me to do this? So um, so I yeah I wrestle with that all the time. Um, I think there's, there's something healthy in it in the, in the sense that my sense of dependency on God is heightened. Like I know that unless God turns my water into his wine, nobody's going to get blessed or helped, you know. So when people come to me and say, oh, that particular point really helped me or that was so encouraging or inspiring or people say that was real wisdom and that really changed my life. I know at the end of the day, it's less about me and it's more about Christ in me. Mm. It's his wisdom, his power, his grace, his spirit that they are receiving from and connecting with. And so because of my um, kind of heightened sense of inadequacy, I have no problem of just directing all of that praise and all of that validation and all of that, you know, appreciation to where it really should go. And that is to Jesus himself, who is ultimately the brilliant one, you know. So um, Mm. yeah, it's why my favorite analogy of the Christian life is treasure in jars of clay, you know, Paul's. Paul's um, statement in Second Corinthians: We have this this treasure in jars of clay, mm. so that the excellency of the power, you know, might be awesome. might be known, and it's it, it's God's it belongs to Him. And mm. so I'm very conscious of the fact that when any body receives anything by way of encouragement or impartation or truth or inspiration, uh, really they're getting to touch the treasure inside this very fallible, broken jar of clay. Mm. So yeah, in those first few minutes. Uh, coming off the stage, I question why God would call somebody <laughs> as Ooh. inadequate as me to it. Um, but enjoy the interaction with the mm. with people. When so, when people do come and say, "Hey, that was really encouraging," or "That was really helpful," it's great. It's good to know that people are um, being helped and encouraged and inspired by mm. what you're it's imparting good. and sharing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty heavy role, isn't it? Because mm. when you think about the most stressful thing in everybody's job. It is probably having to give a thirty-minute presentation to all of the staff and major stakeholders of you know the company or the business or whatever it is, and I think the challenge you have is as soon as you finish that thirty-minute presentation, well, it's on to the next one, ready to go again. So it's a, it's a huge weight, and I think you hold it really, really well. Thanks, mate.
2: It is pretty relentless. I remember Alan Meyer once uh, talking to us about it, and he said uh, he called it the brutality of preaching. Mm. He said it is a relentless and a brutal task. But there's there's a wonderful grace for it as well. So I think if you are called by God to do it as challenged as you may be by your own inadequacy, I think at the same time you're conscious of the fact there is a grace. There's a grace there that comes from God um, that is there for the task. And I'm so grateful for that grace. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm interested just to ask Tim um how you've gone then as a leader, being so used to doing. <laughs> And, and getting stuff done and being in the room and making decisions. How have you gone just being like l- almost losing? It's almost like an identity thing, right? Like you're so used to, for the last 20 odd years, you've you've had a certain hat on and the hat's now just been off for four months. Like how are you going with
2: that? Yeah, it's it's been both challenging and refreshing. Um, challenging in the sense that I am naturally quite driven and I'm wired to um, – a higher pace of life, I prefer a higher pace of life. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my, my natural inclination is is to dive in and, and get things done. And I think particularly in a time of crisis, I'm quite mm-hmm. energized by mm-hmm. disruption and I like change. And um, I probably function best when, when things are mm-hmm. in crisis. So um, it's been challenging to sit on the sidelines and just watch. I've been amazed at how well the team has done. Everyone has responded so well to the the current challenges we're facing as a church. Um, I've been incredibly encouraged by what I've seen, but it has been challenging to just sit back and let everyone do that and not feel like I'm contributing in any meaningful way to that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But at the same time, people have said to me, you're going to have to be patient with yourself and you're going to have to trust the process and trust the people in the process because you are going to overestimate your capacity and your ability to dive back in. And it's a, it's a slow process and it's a long process, um, but it's a necessary process if you're going to get back to full health. And I found that definitely to be true. It mm. It's taking longer than I thought it would take or longer than I hoped it would take. Um, but at the same time, I'm recognizing this is, it's a good thing, it's a good thing. So I'm slowing down. I've made significant adjustments mm. to my lifestyle. <laughs> um, spending a lot of time in silence, in solitude, which is actually good for my soul as an introvert. <laughs> um, and that has been really, really helpful. So, uh, yeah, challenging, but at the same time, refreshing in life to my soul. And um, I'm glad I've got good people around me to keep reminding me of that mm. um, and to keep me in check. You know, there's a, there's actually a beautiful story in Second uh, Samuel chapter 21, I think it is. And about halfway through the chapter, um, the Israelites are in battle again with the Philistines. And uh, David's battling this giant who happens to be the brother of Goliath, right? Now, Goliath actually had four brothers. (laughs) And so David's battling this brother of Goliath um, by the name of Ishbi Benob. How's that? What What a name, right? Ishbi Benob. And it says that David during the thick of the battle became weak and exhausted. And that this giant had cornered him and was about to kill him And one of David's mighty men uh, came rushing across, a guy by the name of Abishai, and killed this giant. And so David's men then said to David, listen, from this point on, you're no longer going to battle with us, right? Because we don't want to snuff you out. It's literally what they said. (laughs) Um, And I found that a beautiful picture that here's, here's David, this giant slayer, this formidable warrior, and this king and this leader, who found himself in the heat of battle overwhelmed and exhausted and essentially defeated Mm. but because he had great people around him he survived you know and so i think that that to me is a beautiful picture and it's encouraging to me to to see people stepping into the breach Mm. um being strong when when i was weak fighting kind of my battles for me (laughs)
0: um
2: that's been so good to see Mm. and I think as a leader, sometimes you just actually need to allow that to happen. You need to allow yourself yeah. to sit on the bench and let others step in and do what you can't do in that particular season. And that's what's happening right now.
1: In a backwards kind of a way, you're, by doing that, you are leading in mm. a way. like you're, The decisions you're making, the, the way that you're looking after yourself, the way that the conversation is panning out, you're leading us in how we might handle our own mental health. Mm. on a staff level on a church level you know i'm sure the the amount of conversations around mental health has certainly ratcheted up Mm. so um but it is interesting how it's kind of like it it takes that humbling that your pain your um your wrestle we're all benefiting from because you're willing to go through it we're all learning and kind of in a backward way kind of being led through it so Mm. thank you for uh for um for doing what you're doing Mm. You know, it's it's an important conversation to have and, uh, and I'm, I almost feel um, a greater affinity for you to know that you're not invincible, to know that you struggle with the same things or similar things that I struggle with or other people struggle with. Mm. It's, um, we, we don't have in you an A-type person who just expects everyone else to kind of charge forward and just get it done. Mm, good. Um, I'm grateful mm-hmm. for this change in your leader, this season in your, in your mm. leadership journey. Oh, that's Um,
2: great. And I really do hope that it's adding value to people's lives. And mm. I'm a big believer in this idea that everything is redeemable Mm. and even the imperfect, broken bits of life, um, when you put in the hands of God, can be redeemed and used, you Mm -hmm. know, to grow and enrich our lives. Mm. And I hope that's happening.
0: I think um, I'm interested, Tim, you know, just to maybe finish by asking you, you're obviously learning and growing. Um, What are some of the things that just have encouraged you in this journey? What are you reading? What are you listening to? What can we listen to because you're listening to it?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm spending a lot of time reading. At the moment, I've read a lot over the last four months. I've just finished uh, John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend. It's great and so relevant to where I'm at right now and where I think a lot of people are at. And it's really all about um, submitting to the way of Jesus as the ultimate path to life and about practicing Mm. those um, disciplines of silence and solitude and simplicity and um, slowing down your life uh, it's outstanding mm. um, so that's been life to my soul I've been um, podcasting quite a bit as well I'm, I'm at the moment enjoying um, Justin Breley's unbelievable podcast mm. which is a conversation that he facilitates between uh, people of faith and people who for whatever reason um, don't have faith so atheists or even agnostics and it's somewhat kind of intellectual, um, it's an apologetics-based approach to conversation, um, but it's a fascinating discussion about life and faith Mm -hmm. and God. um, And I really enjoy that stuff. (laughs) I'm a thinker and I I love thoughtful, rational, intelligent approach to faith life. So that's really been life to my soul. Uh, Been spending a lot of time in nature. Uh, I was down at the beach for a lot of January and February. Uh, Mm -hmm. The weather was gorgeous and Mm -hmm. I just find being in nature Um, invigorating so lots of sunshine and fresh air and uh and honestly people just having good uh life giving people around you Mm. is so important to your mental and relational health i mean you know there are people who just uh drain you and suck the life right out of you (laughs) but there are people who invigorate you and energize you and nourish your soul and so surrounding yourself with those people has been what i've tried to do and
0: i think is essential Getting back to health. Well, we hope and pray that this conversation has been encouraging for you. Uh, And if you'd like to talk to someone about maybe anxiety or you're feeling like you're leading on empty, we'd love to have a conversation with you. And you can uh, talk to us by visiting riverviewchurch.com. Also, if you'd like to reach out to Tim, you can shoot him an email at senior.minister at riverviewchurch.com or you can reach out to us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com.
1: If you found any of our podcasts, including today's one, helpful, the best thing you can do to support us is to share them, send them on to a friend or someone you know. And if you could rate us and review, give us a five-star rating. And a glowing oh. review, Ooh. that would be great. We're on social media as well. Our handle is at Riverview Online. And we'd love you to join us for our weekly Sunday live stream, which is on Facebook and YouTube at 10 a.m. Australian Western Standard Time. And if you can't make it, then the stream will be available for 24 hours afterwards. Our original music today is by Andrew World. Until next time, keep having conversations.